0: Uh, Many years ago, I learned a principle that has been very, very helpful to me. And this principle has to do with the relationship between expectations and reality. I heard this years ago. It's called this, or it's described this way. It says that the gap between expectations and reality is called disappointment. So if you expect something to be here and the reality is it's here, then you're going to live with some disappointment. That's just the way it is. I know this is common sense, but yet we deal with unmet expectations all the time. And we have to deal with our disappointment. So the real question becomes, how do you deal with your disappointments in life? What do you do with unmet expectations? Now, our passage this morning deals with this very issue. And we're going to see, as Jesus reveals himself, that when people are disappointed, even with the Lord, when Jesus gets involved, he can turn our disappointment into hope. He can turn our disappointment into joy. So before we get started with the passage, let me simply ask you this question this morning. What are your expectations of the Lord today? Are you disappointed in something that the Lord has either done or not done in your life? What do you hope he is doing in your life? What do you expect of him? And would you be willing to admit this morning it's possible in the privacy of your heart that at times you too are disappointed with the Lord? All right, let's return to Luke chapter 24 as we continue in this series of Resurrection Life as we continue to study how Jesus' defeat of death affects our life today. Last week we saw when the Lord revealed himself to his disciples that we now have purpose in our life as we wrestle with being his ambassadors no matter what is going on. This week we see the promises which are ours in Christ as we see God's word revealed that we have hope in our life even in the midst of disappointment. So we're going to listen in on this walk. of These two men on their way to Emmaus and how Jesus speaks to them. Two points for us to consider this morning. First, notice our confusion with God's word. And then secondly, notice God's intention with his word. So our confusion and his intention And in my prayer for us this morning is this is that the Lord would open our eyes to see the fullness of all that Jesus' kingdom is about and how that is revealed in his word. And I, I hope and I pray that the Lord fills our hearts with joy as we see his word come alive. Okay, let's look at our confusion. Look back at the text. Verse 13, Luke records this. On that day. What day is that? referring, of course, to the day of Jesus' resurrection, the first Easter morning. This was Sunday morning, the day after their Sabbath day. Jesus arose earlier that morning. We know that he appeared to two women outside of the tomb. They encountered an angel that moved the stone for Jesus, and he walked out. Later that evening, he would reveal himself to his disciples, but before that happened, Luke gives us more details than the Gospel of John, and we see that he went on this walk. In between meeting with Mary and Mary, and later with the disciples, he took a walk outside of Jerusalem. He walked in the direction of a small village about seven miles outside of the city called Emmaus. And as he walked, there were two Jewish men who had been in the city, and they were returning home to their village after experiencing all of the events that had been taking place. One of them was named Cleopas. We do not know the other's name. And they were discussing all that they had seen and all that they had heard, and it was a lot. It seems obvious these two men had known Jesus Though they were not part of the official 12 disciples, these men were part of a larger group who would have been influenced by the Lord. They knew him. He was a friend. Thus, they mourned as they walked. Their friend had died. They were confused about his teaching. They were confused about all the rumors that were taking place. And they were confused about what they hoped would happen that did not happen. Now, as they were walking and talking about the events centered around Jesus... Jesus chose to reveal himself to them by joining them on their journey back home. Seriously, imagine that, but that's what happened. Here were two men walking, and now Jesus, in his glorified body, risen from the dead only a few hours, joins them. Now, why did Jesus choose these two men to reveal himself? The answer to that question is who knows? It's a mystery known only to the triune God, why he would ever reveal himself to anyone. But here these two guys were, and they were about to have the walk of their life. Verse 16, they did not recognize Jesus. In his glorified body, he wasn't a ghost, he wasn't a stranger, uh, he wasn't a spiritual angelic being. But either way, they didn't know who he was. But he was a man in a perfected physical body, one in which, like, we will have someday. These two men see him, but they do not know it's Jesus. Now, verse 17, Jesus chose to enter into their conversation. He was kind of third-willing, if you will. Two guys talking, and he wanted to be included in their dialogue. He simply asked the same way anyone hoping to be included in someone else's conversation would ask. He just said, what are you guys talking about? Perfectly innocent, perfectly honest, maybe a little nosy on Jesus's part, but he just asked them, what are you all talking about? And Their reaction, though, verse 18 is great. They essentially asked Jesus, are you the only person in Jerusalem this weekend who didn't know what was going on? Basically, you can't be that dumb, are you? They were shocked. How could you not know all about this person named Jesus? Now look at verse 19 and let this brief moment of Jesus' humor give you encouragement. This became one of my favorite verses in the Bible as I studied it this week. When they asked Jesus if he was the only person in Jerusalem who didn't know about all these things, Jesus, Jesus casually asked, what things? Like, what are you talking about? As if he didn't know what things. It's as if he wanted to double check just in case they might be talking about something else. Now, he obviously knew everything they were talking about. But he wanted to bring them along in the conversation. Now, I thought about this as I prayed and I studied this week about this passage. Jesus was not sarcastic with them. He could have been. I was thinking, you know what? He could have said to them Oh, those things, the things like when they hung me on a cross. Yes, it's coming back to me now. When they arrested me, when they beat me, when they laughed at me, when they mocked me, when they nailed me, when they put a crown of thorns on my head and thought it was funny. Those things, is that what you're referring to? Or when for three hours the entire earth went dark because God the Father's... Vision of his son was so bad because the weight of sin had fallen upon him that he had to look away. Those things? Yeah, I remember those things. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he died by execution, but he asked his father to forgive everyone before he died. And then he came back to life just a few hours ago, right down the road. Is that what you're referring to? If so, yes, I remember that. Or was there something else in town that weekend? Again, that's not what Jesus said. He could have. But notice his words of kindness to these men. He was not sarcastic. He was not vindictive. He was not demeaning. He was not angry. He rather just carried them along in conversation. In verse 20, they explained their belief in Jesus. And in fact, it was their own Jewish leaders who were responsible for all that had occurred. It was their people. And now in verse 21, there is this climatic moment in their walk, and it reveals so much about them, reveals so much about humanity, and I would even suggest including us this morning. Note, everything they said about Jesus was true. Yes, he was a prophet. Yes, he was mighty in deed and word before God and man. Yes, he was executed by the chief priests and the rulers. Yes, they did crucify him. But notice what they were wrong about. They were both confused and disappointed about what Jesus had accomplished. Cleopas said, we had hoped he was going to redeem Israel. Meaning Cleopas had expected of Jesus to do something which Jesus' death on the cross did not do the way he wanted it done. And he was disappointed in Jesus. In his heart, in his life, he did not think God had done what he wanted God to do. Jesus had just taken away the penalty of sin for all the world, but Cleopas wanted something more, or at least something different. And in all of their confusion of the day, they explained that the rumors that were hearing about Jesus' body not being in the tomb and the reports of angels being seen, as if all of this weren't strange enough, they were still left with this frustration. We thought redemption was coming now. And then in verse 25, Jesus stopped them, almost as if he had heard enough. And he looked at his friends and he said, Oh, foolish Ones. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer? Hear it again. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer? What did they missed? Where had they erred? What were they hoping that Jesus didn't deliver by taking away the penalty of our sin? The issue is found in this word redeem. These two men in some way wanted earthly prosperity and wanted it now. They wanted Jesus to bring to them what they could not get in and of themselves. They wanted their nation, Israel, to be victorious against all of their enemies today. They wanted political victory today. They wanted economic advancement now They wanted those Roman soldiers off their streets now. They wanted to be on top. They wanted to be the rulers. And Jesus was their ticket to make it happen. Make no mistake, Jesus did come to redeem. But his redemption is way more complete and comprehensive than just what we see in front of us right now. See, our sin had to be atoned first He had to do what he did then, and the path of that redemption was his suffering. You see, they wanted the glory for today, but not the cross. They wanted all that would come of Jesus' eternal kingdom right now. They were truly liberated from their sin and God's judgment, but that's not actually what they wanted. There will be a day, of course, when all of our hopes are realized in Christ, when he returns. But until that day, our journey, like Christ, is often marked with suffering. It is part of the story. When we are fully redeemed, we will have all that our hearts long for, but they're suffering first. So again, I ask you these questions. What do you hope this morning the Bible is about? What do you hope the story is telling you? What suppositions do you bring into reading passages of Scripture? What do you actually hope God is doing in your life? If it is for your glory to be realized today and today only, you're going to be disappointed with Jesus. If it is to be identified with Christ in his sufferings so that you will be prepared for an eternal time with him, you'll never be disappointed. Rather, you'll walk with him, and you'll cling to him, and you'll see that as he grows your faith, he is preparing your heart for all that he has in store for you. Is that your expectation? If it's not, you'll be disappointed. Okay, we've seen our confusion. Now let's see what the Lord does to move us from confusion to enjoyment with his intention. Look back at verse 27. Let's notice God's intention here. And I love what Jesus does. And it's a picture, I think, of how he still works in our life today. You're going to see how the Lord opens the eyes of his people to bring hope and to bring joy. And what Jesus did in their day is critical for us to understand how he moves in our heart today. Notice in the text, at this moment, Jesus is still not recognized. But he began to explain to them the Bible Luke recorded that Jesus started with Moses and then the prophets. Moses, of course, the first five books of the Bible, which he wrote, called The Law. The prophets deal with all of the ups and downs of Israel, of of their uh, obedience and lack of obedience to the law. Later in Luke uh, 24, Jesus included the Psalms as part of its teaching, thus revealing the entire Old Testament was pointing toward the day when Jesus would come and reveal himself. Everything that these two Jewish men knew of God's word was telling a story that they did not connect the dots. The very thing that he had just done was the theme of all of their knowledge. It was the umbrella of everything they had ever heard. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus shared with them on that day. We know he gave them a Bible study and he talked from Genesis through Deuteronomy, he talked from the Psalms, he talked from the prophets. Rest assured, this was the greatest parish group in the history of small group Bible studies. Imagine being there that day with Jesus explaining the Bible and that it's all about himself. Just imagine what he might have included in that Bible study. Perhaps he explained Genesis 3:15 and the promise of a coming redeemer who would be injured along the way. Perhaps he explained Abraham and how he was a fulfillment of all of God's promises. Perhaps he explained Noah that this earth will continue until the whole world embraces God's perfect righteousness. Perhaps Jesus explained creation, that God made us male and female, and that marriage is a picture of his body, the church. Perhaps Jesus took him to Psalm 23, And he showed them how he alone is our great shepherd. Or maybe he took them to Isaiah 53, like we read just a moment ago with Eddie, and learned that the Savior would have to suffer. In our presbytery. Uh, serve on a committee uh, that examines all the people who are coming forward to be uh, uh, future pastors. And we call it the Candidates and Credentialing Committee. And they have to take a number of exams if, before they become pastors. But one of those exams is the Bible exam. And the very first question we always ask every person coming under care and wanting to become a pastor, we ask them one question to start the whole process. And that is starting with Moses and the prophets, and the Psalms, tell us about Jesus. And from there, we find out what they know about the Bible. If that question doesn't go well, the rest of the exam typically doesn't go that well either. Now, look back to the story and see the miracle that is before us. Of course, they wanted redemption now, but they had to suffer just like their Savior. This message is about Jesus. And as we wait For the fullness of our salvation, when all of our enemies will be destroyed, we have our Savior now. So understand this morning, whatever disappointment you may have in the Lord, here is what you do have if you know Christ. You see, you have his body. You have the church. You have the people of God. See, you have his spirit this morning alive inside of you you have the community of followers of Christ. And understand this, you have his word. Jesus opened their eyes to see the truth from the word of God. Here is the point. What do you do in your disappointment with God? What do you do? The answer is right here in the text. You turn again and again and again through the power of God's Holy Spirit to His scripture, and you let Jesus reorient your life according to His Word. That's what you do. You remember who He is, you remember how He sees you, you remember what He's doing as He's writing His law upon your heart, you remember what He's doing for all of eternity, that He is returning. And when you're disappointed with God, you let his word minister Jesus, all of his good news to you. That's what you do. Now look at the miracle in verses 31 and 32. In verse 31, they thought Jesus was going to stay and spend the night, but rather he vanished. So in verse 32, what happened? What happened to their disappointment in God? As they recounted the reality, they had just sat under the teaching of Jesus. It says, their hearts burned within them. You see, when they recognized Jesus, their hearts came alive. As they considered all of his promises to them found in the word, their hearts changed. Their disappointment had turned to gladness. Their hearts were revived, their lives were fulfilled, their calling made clear, their hope renewed, their future solidified, their brokenness healed. Their hearts burned because they experienced Jesus in his word. But guess what? Those Roman soldiers were still walking the streets. Their earthly status hadn't changed one bit. They still lived under the rule of an evil king. The problems of their day continued, but their hearts were alive. Their hearts burned with passion. They came alive because of Christ. Here's what changed. In their heart, they were renewed because there was a true king who ruled in the heavens. And they belonged to him. See, church, are you disappointed this morning? Are you disappointed in the Lord? Are you disappointed in his timing? Are you disappointed in what he has done or what he has not done or what he has allowed? In your perceived lack of whatever, do you admit this morning that you're disappointed with him? That he hasn't done what you thought he might do? Your application this morning is this. Read your Bibles and you see Jesus' promise. And you let his intentions become the theme of your life. And his intentions are to remind you of this. He is with you. He has not abandoned you. He will not forsake you. He has a plan and it is moving in the direction of goodness. He is with you. He is alive. He is forming you. He is preparing you. And yes, he is even using you for his glory because he's alive. In the midst of uh, the pastoral transition that is almost over, uh, there's been a lot of folks over the past year who have shared stories with me or thoughts with me or suggestions with me all about our church. Uh, My favorite story, though, that's been the most impactful for me came this past January. Uh, One afternoon, I was speaking on the phone with Karen Byron. Many of you may know Karen. Uh, She and Russ are longtime members here at TCPC. Karen shared with me a story about our church that I'd never heard. Back when this sanctuary was under construction, uh, whatever year that was, 2003 or so, about 20 years ago, uh, the Byrons were in a fold. That was uh, the small group ministry of our church many years ago. Their fold chose to come to this church one Sunday afternoon. And they joined together. They prayed. Uh, they, they joined hands. And they prayed for the future ministry of the pulpit of this church. Petrus and Jan Rukas were there, probably some others here this morning. And that small group, as they held hands and prayed, they prayed specifically for one thing. It was this, that God's truth would always be the message that comes from this pulpit. So somewhere below right here, about 20 years ago, there was a group of people from this church who were praying for the messages that would flow from this pulpit. If that prayer is to continue to be answered, then the message of the pulpit will always be about our Savior who came for us. It will always be about our Savior who died for us. It'll always be about our Savior who rose again for us. It'll always be about our Savior who is returning for us. It will always be about the promises of Jesus to his people, to the praise of his Father, and to our good. It'll always be about Jesus being alive and ruling and reigning and praying for us today. And when Jesus is truly the message of this pulpit, our hearts will not remain disappointed. They can't be. He loves us too much. Church, if you know Christ, you can be honest with your disappointment, but he wants to change you. He will change you. He will remind you of himself and his love for you in him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and I will transition us to the Lord's Prayer. And then we will come and feast around this table. Father, as we consider your promises this morning, Lord, many of us have disappointments. Many of us have called out to you in various ways and hoped that you would do something other than what you have done. But God, would you be so kind and gracious to us today to remind us of your ultimate redemption that we have in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are willing to open the eyes of those who cannot see. Would you be so inclined to do that even today? Father, remind us of your promises in Christ, and may we have true hope and joy as a result. And now, oh God, we pray as the same Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father...